we're going to talk to uh, a man who is based out of Melbourne, originally started uh, his life here in New Zealand. He is a uh, an author, a journalist as well. He's written a book, A World in Conflict, The Global Battle for Rugby Supremacy, that was released uh, back in December 2017. His name is Jeff Parks. He joins us on the phone now out of Melbourne. Uh, morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, great. Thanks, guys. Uh, good to be on, mate. Uh, I uh, just reading in your bio, it says uh, your, your twin goals are achieving a single-figure golf handicap and owning a fast racehorse. Uh, how? How? Uh, which one are you closest to? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Look, it's both of them are uh, as far out of reach as they ever were. Actually, the golf's not too bad. I had a couple of months off being in uh, France for the World Cup. Uh, so I haven't come back too bad, but um, stubbornly uh, hanging around 13, uh, which is yeah a little bit far away from where I want to be. Uh, the racehorse, well, I've got a couple um, that I'm in, but um, yeah, they're uh, they're going about as well as Australian rugby's going, mate. Oh no, Jeff. Okay, here's a bit of advice. Uh, yep, move on, move on. Maybe look at harness racing. Um, <laughs> hey, look, we've been following. We've been following. What do you call it? The circus of Australian rugby um, throughout the, throughout the year. Uh, you know, you've had a you've had a New Zealand CEO in Raylene Castle there. Um, who was shifted on by a pretty powerful group of, of ex-players with the with the chairman. And once again, it looks like the same thing has happened again. Where do you see the state of Australian rugby? Is it a good move? Um, with removing Hamish McLennan? Yes. Uh, yeah, well, look, I mean, you call it a circus. I don't know, can, can Australian rugby, it, it seems like it can't figure out if it's a circus or a shit show. You know, that's really where we're at. <laughs> And, um, you know, we laugh about it, but it, it's very frustrating and it's bad for New Zealand, of course, as well. And, uh, you know, everyone wants Australian rugby to get its house in order and it, it just seems incapable of doing so. And, and so is this move the start of, you know, being able to do that? And you'd have to say that potentially it is. So Hamish McLennan is, in the last three years, he's, he's been a personality that's just been difficult for everyone to uh, to work with and I'd certainly put New Zealand rugby in that basket as well. So there'd be a lot of people woken up yesterday thinking, well, this is a chance to clear the slate and uh, and start again uh, with, you know, take the personalities out of it, take some of the crazy decision-making out of it and, uh, and move forward. So from that element, uh, yes, it's potentially a good move, uh, but there are concerns attached with it too. Jeff, question for you, because I, I, I look at this uh, and think, if New Zealand rugby don't like working with somebody, uh, particularly out of Australia, then generally that's because that person is doing what's best for Australian rugby. Um, is that, do you think, the case, or was he just doing what was best for Hamish? Yeah, I think it's more the second one. And, you know, he's a very unusual personality. Uh, you know, some would say narcissistic and, and, and very you know, self-centred and everything was around him. And, you know, I think the comparison, if you look at the chair of New Zealand rugby, um, you know, it's a more traditional arrangement where, where you've got the CEO as the one in the public eye making uh, the decisions and, and the chair, chairpersons in the background. And, you know, imagine Dame Patsy Reedy in New Zealand 
being in the news every second day, coming out saying, look, I'm targeting uh, Dallin Watini Zalesniak for the All Blacks on the wing, or I'm going to bring Graham Henry back as coach. You know, it's just ridiculous. It wouldn't mm. happen. But but that has, that is what's been happening in Australia. And, and at the end of the day, people just got sick of it. And, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's a, it wouldn't be so bad if some of those decisions were sound and they worked, but, you know, you just played that clip of Australia getting smacked by Wales at the World Cup, and, uh, you know, it was humiliating. I was there that night, and uh, it was an awful night. You know, it was just just a terrible thing to witness that second half, and, and people have just had enough of it. And so that's why we saw the states, some of the states, uh, band together and, and force McLennan out. When, when you're talking about banding together, because it, at the at the pinnacle you're talking about your Wallabies side, but what about grassroots and and centralising um, your system and and it's it's it looks a, a very similar to the the same problems that New Zealand have uh, at the moment. Do you, do you think that both countries could learn from each other um, currently with what's going on? Yeah, no, no question about that. And, and that comes up frequently in Australia. You know, it's like, let's look at what New Zealand's doing, uh, what works there. Uh, and then, you know, let's look at what Ireland does, because clearly uh, the way they centralise their rugby, that's worked for them. Um, but it's not as simple as that, right? So Australia has some particular uh, issues and and things in the landscape that make it more difficult for Australia. Than, uh, and and the, the main one is that the, the concentration of rugby players and interest is just in two cities, and mostly in Sydney and Brisbane. And everyone wants a national competition, but that's very hard when you've got everyone concentrated in two main states. And, and then you've got the issue of rugby league and AFL and soccer taking talent, and particularly rugby league, and they not only talent, they draw the money, the sponsorship money. So you know, rugby's number one sport in New Zealand. It's a totally different uh, landscape. So there are challenges for Australian rugby that are more difficult than anywhere else, uh, but the problem is they just never come to grips with it, and they've never solved the fundamental structural issues about how they govern the game and who has the power. Is there going to be an independent board or do we just leave it traditionally for the two big states to run the game? And then when that happens, they start fighting and no one trusts each other and it's a real old school amateur setup. And until they figure that piece out, it doesn't matter who the chairman is or it doesn't matter who the coach of the Wallabies is. And, and yeah, you're right. It also means that they're going to struggle to... Uh, to get the right sort of investment in grassroots rugby. Yeah, talk, talking about um, grassroots, Jeff, and uh, I call it sort of the old boy mentality where you're hanging on to this privileged um, position of rugby union in Australia being played uh, only by private schools when you're trying to compete with the NRL that has a public school system and and just filters kids through into their, into their national competitions. Is that something that Rugby Union in Australia should look at um, trying to replicate? Absolutely, and they should have looked at that years ago. And in fact, that's gone backwards. So if we look at the Sydney club competition, uh, you know, and everyone knows uh, Sydney's a big place and Western Sydney's a big place. There's there's heaps of young uh, 
boys and girls running out there that are talented footballers, and you know, Pen we've seen that with Penrith in the rugby league, and uh, and yet uh, the Penrith Rugby Club uh, was booted out of the Sydney competition because the the North Shore and the Eastern Suburbs sides, you know, didn't want to drive out there basically, mm. and uh, and so. Uh, you know, there's a team in Parramatta, and that's as far as it goes. That even the Sydney club competitions concentrated just around a couple of couple of areas. So th- that has been a result of this sort of private school mentality. And there's been no mechanism for rugby in Australia to say, right, how are we going to go to public schools and attract some of these talented kids that all go to league and, and get at least some of them back in rugby, and a lot of them, their parents come from the Pacific Islands or mm. New Zealand and, and they are rugby people a lot of them but, but league looks after that so much better and, and we are seeing some changes I'm particularly in Melbourne here so we've got uh, a movement in Melbourne where rugby now is in uh, some of the public schools here in Melbourne and that's been started uh, largely by a New Zealand guy who set a business up to do that and he's now receiving funding through uh, Rugby Victoria and the State Government of Victoria. And they're kicking goals. And there are people now coming through into the Rebels program, the underage teams, and now even into the Australian under-20s that are from this program, this public schools program in Melbourne. So we're we're starting to see uh, some green shoots there. Uh, But really, Rugby Australia should have picked up on this, uh, you know, quite a few years ago, and we should be a lot further down the road. I guess a big part of that, Jeff, is winning the media battle, right? And and that's the thing in Melbourne um, is trying to trying to find some space for that, some oxygen for that, so you can get people through the door. You can attract sponsors and things. I, I remember looking at the Melbourne Ages website. I think it was before the first game of a Super Rugby season, and the Rebels were hosting the Blues, maybe something like that. And you know, you have a section on AFL, you have a section on rugby league, you have a section on motorsport, a section on basketball, a section on football. Then there was a section other sports with six stories in it, and not one of them was a rugby union sport. So not only did rugby union not have its section, it wasn't even in others. I mean, how hard is it getting heard in Melbourne? Yeah, it's it's almost impossible, and to the point where the two big uh, news organisations here uh, and papers, Herald Sun and The Age. They don't even bother sending people along to uh, to rugby now, and uh, you know wow. there's been games, there's been super rugby games where I've been the only person there, and I'm I'm a I'm a commentator. I'm not a um, a, a daily journo, so I'm not doing match reports. And you know there's been a couple of press conferences. Uh, one I remember with uh, Leon McDonald and Tom Robinson walking in from the Blues. Uh, after a Super Rugby game against the Rebels, and I'm the only person in the room uh, for the press conference. And I remember Tom looking around thinking, yeah, he's looking for the cameras, thinking he's been set up. You know, you guys taking the piss here or not? And, uh, you know, so that's how dire it is uh, here in Melbourne. And it's a really difficult road. And, and I think everyone here recognises now at the Rebels and that, the only way that's going to change is if the team starts winning and uh, and then people will get interested and jump on board. But until that happens, no, rugby is, uh, you know, it's way down the list. Uh, and not just in Melbourne. It, it's happening now elsewhere, even in Sydney and Brisbane. Uh, the the coverage, is, TV in particular, uh, the coverage is uh, is very poor. 
David Campisi is talking about identity and that Australian uh, rugby union has lost a lot of their identity. A lot of Australians actually don't know that you've won two World Cups um, and who who the Wallabies are. And then you go and sign a young kid by the name of Joseph Suwali from Sydney Roosters to chew up $5 million in a, in a firm that doesn't really know its identity. Where is that $5 million better spent, do you think, in your mind? Uh, well, definitely on you know some of these public school programs. And imagine how many kids you can get, talented kids, uh, playing the sport and have a decent chance of keeping them in the game with money like that. And that's no knock on Joseph. And you know, let's hope that when he when he does start playing, uh, he does well, and and maybe that'll attract some others or help. You know, but as you say, if you're looking to establish a firm, solid base, uh, and what is the identity of our game, you just don't go around taking one-off pot shots. And that that wasn't about Joseph Sawyer. That was about the chairman, you know, wanting to get one back at Peter Volandis and and stuff like that. And you know, again, that's another bad judgment call. You don't go into a bidding war against someone who's got a whole lot more money than you've got. And, and you know, you just get made to look stupid and your sport gets made to look stupid. And, and one of the good things that's happened yesterday is the new chairman, Daniel Herbert, coming out saying we're not going to be doing that sort of thing anymore. And that's, that's uh, pleasing to hear. And I think you know, pretty much everybody in the sport over here would support that 100%. Jeff, do you think that that is now going to go ahead? Because I see, you know, Nick Politis has said, oh, uh, you know, Joseph's told us he'll be back in 2028 and there's a contract waiting for him, uh, which obviously is not a great look for, for rugby. Uh, and I know that uh, Phil Wars made some comments about maybe trying to get out of that deal. Do you know, do you know uh, if they are able to get out of that deal and do you expect it to go ahead? Uh, well, I don't know if they're able to or not, and you know, it depends uh, on the contract and depends on you know what Joseph wants to do. It might suit them both. Uh, no, look, I you know I don't know, and uh, you know I'm sure they'd like the money back and to be able to spend that uh, differently, as we've just talked about. But whether it happens or not, you know, I think we're just going to have to sit and sit that one out and wait and see. Um, you know, the other argument is, well, it's been done now. Uh, let's bring him in, see how he goes. But uh, it'll really depend on, you know, how how badly they want out and uh, and how badly the Roosters want to keep him. You know, so we'll see what happens. Jeff, what about the the Australian government? You know, Bob Hawke was a was a fantastic supporter of the Wallabies. Um, way back in, in the day and, and of course the Wallabies when I was playing over there in the NRL were, were hugely um, popular. Where do the governments sit both um, federally like with your, with your governments in different states and of course centrally? Uh, well it's a good question Kepi and, and uh, I think we've sort of seen uh, that's a reflection of Australian rugby's problems. So we saw that in COVID, and I mentioned this in an article I wrote on the Raw yesterday, that you know when COVID hit, we saw that the Prime Minister, uh, unlike in New Zealand, had very limited powers, and uh, and that the COVID response around law and order and health 
system from that was was run by the states. And of course, in the states, mm. decide for themselves what's best for each state. So you get different rules in different states, and it confuses the hell out of everybody and frustrates them. And uh, and that's exactly what's happened in rugby in Australia, where you know different states decide they want to do things differently. So so the idea that you have a federal or a um, central administration, you know, running the game is is sound because you just get one lot of decision makers, and if everybody can get on the same page, are you going to get a better result? So, so that is uh, politically the way it's set up is uh, is a mirror image of of how it works in rugby. Um, in terms of their investment and support for the game, it has been pretty good. And again, better in some states than others, and that depends on the relationships that those uh, state boards have with the state governments. But certainly in Melbourne, uh, that's been... We've seen a Bledisloe Cup here uh, for a couple of years running, and that doesn't happen by accident. That's because the state government sets a lot of money in, and then that money is used by the Victorian... Uh, Victorian rugby to invest in grassroots programs mm. and to, to you know into the women's game and and the rebels were the first team to start paying uh, their female players so so that, you know some of the the government support is good and federally it's always been pretty good for rugby there's been good relationships as well so rugby actually does okay out of the out of the government and the risk is that with all the continued instability, that governments now, they're looking for for excuses not to spend money. Mm, and course. if rugby doesn't get, if they, if they don't get their house in order, they're going to lose that. And, uh, you know, then we're, then we're in a real world of hurt. Yeah, and the other thing is that politicians like to be uh, aligned with winners. Um, and back in Bob Hawke's day, Absolutely. they were winning. <laughs> no, no, no question about that. And we see that now. You know, we've got the current prime minister, uh, you know, jumping on the bandwagon last year with the um, the uh, uh, soccer World Cup, the women's soccer World Cup, and the Australian team doing well. So, absolutely, that's what happens. And and again, we come back to it. Australian rugby, the Wallabies and the Super Rugby teams—they're not going to start winning just because they want to. You know, it's not easy, and they have to, they have to get those, uh, get those wins. And there is a lot of, a lot of good work going on at franchise level, and I'm pretty optimistic that we are going to see better performances next year. But, but until that happens. They're not going to change the negative narrative and they're not going to get media and they're not going to get politicians on board supporting them. Jeff, appreciate your time, mate. I know it's early there, so uh, we really like uh, thank you for getting up early and, and talking to us. And keep up the good work. If you want to read Jeff's articles, it is theraw.com.au. That is the raw. That's R-O-A-R. Raw, not R-A-W. Excellent, Jeff. Thank you very much. Yeah, really appreciate it, Jeff. Go well, brother. Uh, my, my pleasure, guys. Uh, enjoy the day.